Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to our supporters, Festival Republic. You've probably spent a weekend in a field with them at some point. They put on some of the UK's best known festivals. They're also leading when it comes to sustainability. This year, they're collaborating with Music Declares Emergency to transition their event power to grid energy and are displaying the carbon footprint of the food on sale. They've already switched single-use plastic bottles to those made from recycled materials, bought in deposit return schemes for cups and are zero waste to landfill. They're actively engaged in greening the music industry through Vision 2025, a body bringing outdoor events and climate goals together. Sounds Like a Plan is all about ideas and solutions, so it made sense to me to team up with one of the most proactive festival organisers out there. One of their main events is the legendary Leeds Festival, always the lineup of the summer. It takes place at Bramham Park, Leeds from the 26th to the 28th of August 2022. Friday and Saturday tickets are still available. Head to leadsfestival.com forward slash tickets to get yours and while weekend passes are sold out keep an eye on ticketmaster.co.uk for any return tickets which become available so big up festival public for their support and their essential work they say their job is to preserve the live music experience for generations to come and that is something we can all get behind Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. I'm Greg Cochran, a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician, producer and co-founder of Music Declares Emergency. And this time on the podcast, we are talking energy, quite literally the power that makes our favourite gigs, festivals and live events happen, and how this is a huge part of music's transition to a more sustainable future. To help us understand all of this, we're joined by Tim Benson, a clean energy guru who works with some of the biggest artists in the world and of course we'll leave you with some recommendations before we go so let's get into the podcast hi Faye welcome everyone good to have you with us um Faye we're talking energy on this week's podcast and I feel like when we normally use that word um which is a lot we're usually describing a guest on the podcast or some kind of idea you know saying like They've got good energy or they've got high energy or something. But we're getting literal this time out because we're hearing about the resources that bring our favourite live music to life, quite literally the power. Um, and where that energy is coming from, what it is, and crucially, what kind of transition is happening in our local venues, at our nearest arena or festival site that is going to pave a way for a cleaner, greener future. Um it's at this point, Faye, that I'm going to put both my hands up in the air and admit that this is, this was and sort of is out of my comfort zone in terms of like what I know about this subject. Um, I'm the guy at home that can't really get the smart meter working. So I'm not <laughs> even, I'm not great at this stuff. Um, but I guess going into this discussion that we're going to share today, I, was, I, I suppose I was just interested to know what, how much did you feel like you knew about live music and, and, and energy in that sort of area? Well, Greg, I thought I knew quite a lot. And then I realised talking to Tim that I just knew some words and I didn't really know what they meant. <laughs> and so where he was digging into things and talking about what these things actually are, it was like really mind blowing for me, actually. I feel like I learned so much from this conversation. And it's also that kind of, I'm not going to say geeky stuff, because that's maybe a, a bit judgmental, but geeky stuff that is... Uh, 
it's just so fascinating. And you think you, I'm constantly working like the cultural space and all this communication, all this kind of stuff. And then you dive into someone else's world and they're really digging in deep on the infrastructure and just fresh ideas, like really, really um, positive, uh, optimistic ideas of creation of energy for events. And yeah, I, I left this conversation full of energy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into that, though, Faye, one thing that I want to ask you about that's happened in the music climate space in the past week or so, and that was the publication of a new piece of research uh, by Glasgow University and a collaboration with uh, yourselves at Music Declares Emergency, which is all about music fans' attitude towards the climate emergency and climate action. Uh, as I said, I know you were involved with getting this survey out there uh, and along with some other partners, Beggars Group and the BPI and some other people that were wanted to get this um, survey out there to, to hear about these views of music fans and non-music fans. Um, some of you listening to this may have seen this because it travelled quite far in the media. I saw pieces on Sky News, I saw it in The Independent, Enemy, lots of pick up for this, which is really, really great. The research was led by Dr. Matt Brennan, who has done lots of notable work in this area before of, uh, of music research, and it draws on a YouGov UK survey that spoke to more than 2,000 adults across the UK. And I wanted to just highlight some of the key findings, Faye, and get your take on it and mm. see what you feel about it. Um, feel free to go into as little or as much detail as you want. Um, but for <laughs> listeners that either have or haven't come across this, I um, thought it was interesting that on climate change, the poll found that 82% of music fans were concerned about climate change compared to 72% of non-music fans. So something that we're really, really engaged with. And, and, and the second part of that is like, both music fans and non-music fans tend to see climate change as an important issue which should be addressed, but music fans are significantly more likely to view it as a top priority. So I think it was 54% of music fans agreed that tackling climate change should be a top priority now above any other issue. So that's interesting in itself, right? Music fans, that connection between music and the climate issue is clearly, it's ranking really high, right? Mm, yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's it's such a wide term, music fans, but it's also mm. maybe as describing people who are interested in art, interested in digging a little bit deeper into life and really experiencing music um, in their lives. So they may be also really um, sensitive and open to the real issues of the day as well. So maybe that's where the connection lies. But um it is really interesting to say to to speak to huge huge amounts of music fans mm. um, who we found through music networks through lots of people's mailing lists and, and all sorts of people who were signed up to um, to be part of various music networks and mm. actually find out what they think. Otherwise, most of the time we're just presuming we know what people think, but. Um, you really need to do some research to dig into these questions and, and find out what people are thinking about. And I think 82% of people saying that they're extremely worried about it mm. in our music community is a, a massive signpost to record labels and touring agents and bookers and promoters and venues to say that this is what your audience wants. We want action on climate. We want to mm. see that um, the companies that we love, all those record labels and stuff are actually taking action. And um, and yeah, so a, a massive signpost to those companies to say that not only that they need to do, do more stuff, but also that they can talk about it and the people who are buying their products and attending their shows do want that to happen. So yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. 
yeah in, in that sense like as you said it there there's not been much research if any research done at all on this topic before so that's why this this sort of survey and the publication of the results is is significant and also just feeding into the point that you mentioned there we talk on this podcast all the time about different initiatives uh different bodies different groups of people communities all coming together in the music industry to us because we're doing this we're speaking to people often about it it feels like there's lots going on and that there's um that maybe like lots of music fans are connected to that but one of the really revealing things and big takeaways from from the the research as well was that awareness of the stuff that's going on in um in the music community is actually quite low so i think it was something like 64 percent of music fans had not heard of any music industry initiatives on 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 sustainability and climate action um with only i think three percent people said that they they had heard about like some of those initiatives which is was a little bit of a surprise to me but also does that not represent an absolutely enormous opportunity that um sometimes it can feel like maybe we're banging the drum quite hard for for some of these things to 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 connect with music fans over some of these issues and the people and the types of stories that are happening in the music music industry but the fact is not even started scratching the surface yet does that is that what that implies do you think yeah i think so i think it's um first of all i think it says that more people should listen to our podcast (laughs) (laughs) And then they will know. Um, But it also makes it makes me realize it's it's good that we're doing what we're doing here. I think with Music Declares Emergency, we're Mm. constantly asking our partners in the music industry to speak out about what they're doing. Because some people are a bit Mm. they don't want to speak out until they're perfect. But no one's ever perfect. So we're like, come on, let's talk about it. And Mm. it's, you know, it it backs that up, which is great. Um, But also it does. It's a huge opportunity for the industry to speak out and it's a huge opportunity for um for more work to be done and to to know that the audience is ready for it and the audience is waiting people people are there so yeah it's very good absolutely yeah 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 it's great stuff it's great stuff so yeah if um people can find this 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 research online so so do go and check it out if this all sounds interesting and yeah hopefully maybe the podcast just plays a tiny little eeny teeny weeny part in that <laughs> in trying to, trying to bring some of that uh uh awareness to light of some of the stuff that's happening in the music industry and but as it as, as it suggests there's a long way to go to connect um people that are music fans with the stuff that's going on and that's really really great um let's get back to talking about this week's topic and this week's guest though Faye um we so we know that the music community is not an isolated bubble when we talk about how the community is responding to the climate crisis we're always talking about the way that it works with different sectors or industries that's why we've had episodes that have talked about subjects like food at music events and travel and manufacturing when it comes to things like record labels and you know cds or vinyl or whatever it's all interconnected and energy is a biggie um asking those questions like is my local battle of the bands night being supplied by renewable energy or or the same questions go right up to the biggest stadium events this is where music can have a real tangible lasting impact if we get the transition here right Um, so adopting existing technology uh, and and the innovations that are coming about in this area as well so we need someone who knows all about this inside out to explain it and tim benson is an energy consultant having worked in live music for a number of decades he specializes in working with live events to deliver low impact power solutions uh, and monitoring things like energy output which as you're about to hear is absolutely key to all of this stuff he's worked on everything from shambhala festival to the great escape Boardmasters to manchester pride and he's recently been part of the team working on Coldplay's Music of the Spheres World Tour. Um, in fact, as he spoke to us, he just got back from America where he'd been on the road with them and we talked to him a little bit about that. Um, 
Tim's also heavily involved in a number of UK bodies that are forging a more sustainable route for the UK live events industry. So here we go. This is Tim Benson on Sounds Like a Plan. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us. Um, to start, would you mind just telling us a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, so my name is Tim Benson. I am an energy consultant on international live events with ZAP Concepts. Uh, just so you know, the ZAP stands for Zero Air Pollution. Haven't quite achieved that yet, but we're, we're getting there. <laughs> uh, I also run a, a rental company which specialises in renewable um, power supplies for festivals and sports events etc and uh, because I haven't got enough to do my with my day jobs I'm also chair of powerful thinking which is the sustainable uh, events group for uh, for power uh, across live and, and UK festivals brilliant you sound like you're really really busy uh, we're, we're quite busy yeah and <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim on this podcast we talk uh, a lot about how the music community is having to collaborate with lots of other different types of industries whether that's food travel we've talked about those in the past and obviously in this case energy and um, I know that's it's obviously a super obvious thing to, to say for, for lots of people listening but when we're talking about energy in particular in very plain terms when it comes to live music, where are we coming from in terms of like what type of energy have we relied on on in that area for a long time? And where are we going to? What kind of transition is happening right now? Well, essentially, we, we come from a, a background of, of running all our power off temporary power systems, which predominantly have been uh, diesel generators. Um, in the last sort of 10, 15 years, we have switched to alternative fuel supplies. So we began with biodiesel, which is horrible, gloopy, gluggy stuff uh, made out of waste vegetable oil. But uh, the actual process of making it actually meant that it caused huge reliability problems with generators. So since then, we've switched to kind of second generation biofuels, which is hydro treated vegetable oil, which is essentially a drop in fuel. Uh, that can be put in any generator, any plants, uh, buggies, etc. Uh, it's a much cleaner fuel. It's about 0.03 kilograms of CO2e per litre burnt compared to 2.62 for regular diesel. Um, but I'm a firm believer that uh, switching to alternative liquid fuels is actually not the solution. I think what we need to be doing um, immediately is to actually reduce our consumption and look for a more heavy dependence on main supplies and renewable energy supplies. So liquid fuels aren't really the way forward is, is what I'm saying. Mm. So what we're talking about there, so just, you know, if, we, if we've got a one day festival in our imagination, we're talking about energy efficiency. So like using less energy on site or being smarter with the energy that's supplied there and also basically trying to plug it into the grid somehow so we can use renewables is that right yeah absolutely i mean everyone tends to think of the grid in uh, in in pretty bad terms it's coal and and gas and, and that kind of thing but i i'm such a, a geek and such a bore that i get an update from the national grid every day <laughs> and it tells me what percentage uh, of the energy mix is supplied by renewables by fossil fuels by the slightly strangely termed other fuel system and mm. if you consider the national grid it's no longer power stations sending out power and then us using it it's a mixture of decentralized power systems so you may still have energy coming from a power station 
But the, the district network operators who actually provide the, the feeds to your cells and your homes and your venues are also drawing on renewable power supplies. So what used to be 100% fossil fuel is now more like 40% fossil fuel, uh, 30% renewables and 30% other. So we our, our national grid is becoming a more sustainable energy mix. Um, and that's why it's actually quite good to use. Even if you have a standard energy tariff, you're still using a percentage of renewables. If you have a green tariff, then you're using a higher percentage. So a lot of people kind of say, well, if you haven't got a green tariff, it doesn't count. I think that's a bit of an elephant in the room. Actually, there will be a percentage of renewables coming into everyone's domestic or commercial energy mix. And when you're, when you're saying the energy mix, just for the non-experts around us, we're talking about electricity on the grid, aren't we? Not, not gas. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Unless we want to talk about uh, uh, hydrogen and uh, what you have to do with gas to create hydrogen, but that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe for, for later. <laughs> um, Tim, just sticking on that example of like a sort of a one day festival or perhaps um, a headline arena show or something like that, that, that kind of example, it's, it's something that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before, but it'd be great to have an understanding of like what energy, where, where the, where's the kind of, um, in the pie chart of what the energy consumption of a festival or a, say an arena gig looks like, is it mostly coming from the stage with all the lighting and the, the sound and everything else? Or wh where's energy getting used predominantly for something like that? Have you got any examples that you can help break us down so we can just understand it? Yeah, I mean, on the big shows, uh, you often have uh, kind of like media and streaming studios on site. Um, they can consume high high amounts of energy. Uh, they usually have to have like temporary aircon units, which are, are three phase supplies bought in, uh, and that's not just to keep the media team happy, but that's to keep all the servers and everything cool. You have things like crew catering, artist catering. Um, you know, the the stage power mix is a relatively small percentage of it because the the team will be on site for a while before that. Uh, mm. They have to have like uh, office space. They have to have catering. You know, they, all, all the usual amenities or facilities that you would need at work. Um, whereas the show actually will only maybe run for two or three hours. And of course, you have rehearsals and everything on top of that. But it can be quite a, a small percentage of, of the actual overall consumption. And if you look at the baseline uh, energy consumption of, of, say, an international stadium, uh, a very high percentage of that just comes from stadium infrastructure itself. Yeah, so like the, well, the sort of lights in the corridors and the toilets and stuff, just the functional stuff, right? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, basically the, all, all the kind of needs that you have for your, your visitors, your temporary crew, your own internal staff, it all kind of adds up, basically. I've just had quite an amazing thought as well. When people in their thousands flock to a show, then all of those people are getting their evening's entertainment from that one power source rather than all being at home streaming Netflix or doing what they're going to do on their, their energy sources at home. So in a way, it's in some weird big picture, it's quite a, 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 a efficient use of energy using it for a live show. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Netflix did an interesting uh, piece of research based around what it costs them to actually distribute digital content from their media centers versus the actual um, energy use on site for location-based shoots. 
Um, I can't actually remember the results of it, but it, it was a really interesting read. And it is quite a hard, you know, the digital footprint of mm. streaming to direct to audience is higher than you think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I derailed us for a second there, but I just had this image of loads of people sharing one energy source at a big show and sort of standing around a big communal fire. Tim, there's a term that's come up on the podcast before. I think um, Jamie Obon, who's the manager of the 1975, has re- been with us in the past and mentioned about like sort of energy efficient productions. And, 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 and Jamie spoke a bit about how they as a kind of team and as a band were trying to make their production lightweight and more energy efficient. What, what does that, what does all that stuff mean? Like, what are we talking about when we say like an, an energy efficient live show are we talking about the bulbs that are using in the in the lights are we talking about what sort of things are we talking about there well i mean the most crass example is people switching from tungsten lighting fixtures to led you know for uh, starting maybe 10 12 years ago everyone was like led 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 it's the way forward yes they do uh, leds do use considerably less power than a, a conventional tungsten bulb. However, they have a lot of inherent problems uh, in terms of the way they're designed and switch mode power supplies and everything, which actually uh, makes things difficult for electricians. Mm-hmm. Um, audio equipment has come a long, long way. You have brands like L Acoustics and DMB, whose uh, audio equipment is super efficient, super energy efficient. LED screens, uh, again, have come a long way, but they have a lot of inherent problems with technical problems with earth leakage and that kind of thing. Um, I think the best way, though, to be energy efficient is to actually have a really draconian plan for when you're going to power things up and when you're going to power things down. The biggest mm. problem that we see with our research at Zap, for instance, is generators that are, are started by electrical teams. Um, they might be used for testing for maybe half an hour, an hour, something like that. But then once that testing is complete, nobody switches them off, and then they move on to something else. So actually working with production managers, artist liaison and everything, and saying, okay, this is our power up time. This is our power downtime. Can we stick to that as far as possible? Of course, all one's, everyone's going to throw you swerve balls and the lampies are going to want to stay focusing all night and you know all of those kind of things. But as far as possible, at least consider it. Don't just say, well, the generators are going to hit the deck and we're going to leave them on for 48 hours or, or whatever it is. Actually think, when can I power down? Maybe I've got three generators working in sync. Can I turn two of them off? And, and only run two or only run three uh, when we're actually doing live testing. Things like that. To me, that's energy efficiency. Mm. Mm. Avoiding waste, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's real, you know, everyone likes to think it's all very technical and like we're working off algorithms and sitting at our laptops the whole time. But sometimes actually just going over to a Jenny Tech and saying, Oi, do you need to leave that on? Or say for a production <laughs> manager, boy, do we need that one? That's not particularly technical, but it is highly effective in my in my mind. Yeah, That's brilliant. Yeah. Thinking of all of the indoor venues that are across the UK, that sort of live music map, it, it feels to me that there's almost like no excuse for um, a live music venue in this sort of in 2022 not to be sort of using renewables, uh, renewable electricity coming into their venue. Do we know any statistics about how many do actually do that? And are there still certain venues that still need to make the switch? 
Uh, I would say a, very, a relatively small portion. Um, and this is not for want of trying on behalf of the venues. Production managers, for some reason, feel like having two great big dirty diesel engines parked outside a venue is somehow going to be more reliable uh, than running off a main supply. Now, okay, we do have mains power outages in the UK, agreed. But a generator is kind of as likely to fail as a main supply is. So you back up the generator, you have a second one that will be able to take the load. Okay, so by definition, do we back up the backup? Do we back up the backup, the backup, the backup? There are systems in place where you can connect battery systems uh, to main supplies. So the, you have the main supply, the battery system sits in line between the main supply and the load. And it acts as what we call a UPS, a giant un uninterrupted power supply. So that way, you know, the, the argument saying, well, if the mains goes down, we don't have any recourse. Um, well, if you put a battery in line with the mains, you do. So I think that's a bit of a kind of outdated argument. Um, arenas are generally better and they have decent power supplies. Stadium or stadia, on the other hand, will all, almost always say, bring in generators. We, we don't have the level of power that you need. Um, mm. I wasn't aware of that, Tim. I didn't, I didn't realise venues would bring in generators. That seems bonkers. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, it's not necessarily the venues that are pushing for that. It's the production managers saying mm. we, we want to have that, that, you know, the, the redundancy, as we call it in the industry, and an extra generator, an extra two generators that will pick up the slack. But the modern day battery systems, uh, the complexity in, in, in how they work will have a will allow a mains failure and will give you, uh, you know, depending on the load, a number of hours autonomy without the mains coming back on just off the battery system. Mm. So that's one of the reasons that we're pushing for batteries, uh, sorry, for mains use more, because there's now systems in place um, that will actually give production managers confidence. You, you can have a, a generator connected to the mains. So if uh, the mains goes down, the generator kicks in, but that's not an instantaneous thing. Uh, with a battery, it takes up the load immediately. Um, so the technology is out there. It's winning the confidence, I think, of production managers and in particular mm. tour managers. That's, yeah. you know, that's what we need to do. And what, because obviously power going down and, and power cuts, they do happen, but they're not that regular. You know, they're not, they're not that common. Maybe once every few years it happens. Um, what would be the cost to the production and the show, say, if there was a, Adele was playing at Wembley Arena, Wembley Stadium, let's say, and there's a power cut. Who takes the cost of that and who, who needs to be assured that they're not going to lose their life savings? Or let's say, or, you know, is there insurance that you can guess against that? Yeah. I mean, the answer is I, I don't know 100%. The, the, the risk aversion will come from the promoter. Um, reputationally, it would look awful on the tour manager because they would be seen not to have been doing their job. So there's, mm. there's a whole load of kind of like push and pull factors, depending on who you are. The promoter will, will lose the money. Uh, the production team will, you know, be deemed unreliable. Uh, and and every, everybody works to the worst possible case scenario. So they mm. will always, you know, they will always be 100% risk averse. And that's the difficulty is actually convincing people that this technology is there 
and that it works. Um, but a lot of people will go, oh, yeah, that looks really cool, but just not on my show, sorry, that, mm. that kind of attitude. I understand that because those in those jobs, your whole your whole job is to make sure things go right. And that's you're making 100 decisions, probably more every single day on, on what you're booking in and all of the things that you're doing. So it's a lot of pressure on those those personnel. I wonder if when it comes to reputational damage, where, where at some point there'll be a shift when people say, oh, you're not using electricity. Oh, oh, you're running a show that's running on generators. I mean, we're not there yet, but we're not that far off artists and and other people expecting uh, sustainability to be front and center of a of all practices and all businesses i think what's crucial about that i think you're absolutely right but i th- i think that pressure has to come from the audience mm. so, mm. so to a certain degree the audience need to start demanding that uh, there are festivals across across the world that are you know their ticket sales are hugely augmented by their sustainable practices so it's a kind of sustainability is a it's an aspiration for them but it's actually also a bums on seats thing Mm. Uh, and I think the more major artists that start pushing for this uh, and, and maybe not just pushing, but actually insisting on this, the more mm. audiences will grow to expect it. And therefore, there will be a paradigm change in the industry and power suppliers, power contractors will have to alter their practices because, the, you know, they, they won't get contracted if they're not using the new modern technology because audiences are beginning to ask for it. Absolutely. And maybe that's the role of some of the more forward thinking artists who are huge people like Billie Eilish, obviously Coldplay, who you've worked with, who are openly, you know, very, very concerned and and very willing to do what it takes to make their touring greener, trailblazing these things and say, look, it works. If it works for Coldplay, if it works for Billie Eilish, it works for everyone. They're the biggest artists in the world. So do you think there's... um, a lot to be said for those artists who do start to um, make demands, create, you know, ask their teams to to start making a change. Yeah, I mean, I think an interesting thing about the Coldplay uh, tour, Music of the Spheres tour in particular, is, I mean, generators are, are generally kind of hidden from the audience at, at most events, to be honest. You'll, you'll see them by tents and stuff like that, but they're not really directly in the mind of the audience. But what Coldplay did that was particularly good was they created an energy zone within the stadium floor, which gave uh, the audience an opportunity to contribute to the, the energy supply for the C stage. So they were actually actively engaged in riding bikes or dancing on kinetic dance floors, et cetera. Uh, it wasn't just like, you know, we're doing this, aren't we cool? It's like, you're doing this, aren't you cool? So the messaging really, really hit home. And I think it's got to be a two-step or two-tier approach. You've, you've got to engage audiences in what you're doing to be sustainable uh, and then expect or hope that that creates some kind of critical mass and that makes the audiences begin to demand that you, you use more solar or you use more battery or you go to biofuel or something like that. I, I don't think it's enough to say, oh, those generators that you can't see behind the stage are, are running on HVO biofuel. It's the, the whole thing with the Coldplay thing is you are creating the energy. You are, in a mm. sense, actually making this show happen. Um, that's brilliant. And, and that's a great way to get the message across. And that will sink in you know 
different levels with the audiences, but the people that I've engaged with on the tour have walked away and gone, this is amazing. We love it. Um, mm. and, and they're under no illusions that they're powering the main stage. You know, we've, we explained to them exactly which areas they're powering. So this is all scalable, but it's all about the messaging, about the aspiration, about the hope. Wow, that's amazing. I've just had this amazing image in my mind when you said people don't think about the generators at the shows as people queuing up really early and running to the front just to see the generator. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But no. it's I saw all the headlines about Coldplay, kinetic dance floors, cycles. Obviously, cycles is kind of, I understand how you can create energy from a cycle. You cycle around and power something. What on earth is a kinetic dance floor? Can you explain to us? It, what this magical thing is that I've heard so much about. It's a dance platform. So it's kind of like a raised sort of disco floor for want of a, a better expression. Um, and the, the movement of people jumping up and down on it is geared uh, into a system underneath, which creates a lateral movement. And mm. that, that vertical movement converted to lateral movement then basically drives some small motors that produce a DC current which then goes into uh, like an empty battery, tops mm. up that entry ba empty battery, and that, that empty battery is then used for stage backline or something at the next show. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think they can fit about 100 people on each energy floor. Uh, on the Coldplay tour in particular, they had the, the cameras kind of zooming in on the people there. Mm. So they could all see themselves on the big screens. Uh, it was almost like turned into a kind of like competition thing. Uh, it's, it's really great. Um, and, you know, honestly speaking, it, it's energy generation is moderate. But again, it's about the messaging. Mm. Mm. That sounds fantastic. And do people have to apply to be part of the energy? Uh, how do people get onto the kinetic dance floor? It's it's a first come first serve thing basically. But oh they, right, so they are running down the front for the generators, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, and they they have what they call dance parties, kind of spread out through the um, through the evening, sort of during mm. the the kind of uh, early part and in between the warm up acts, that kind of thing. So, uh, and it was sort of advertised on the screen, so people could see when to go over there. And you know, so some people we we had a couple of people on the bikes for seven hours of the show. Wow. They, just, they just wouldn't get off. I think they felt like if they stopped pedaling, the show was going to stop. But <laughs> I, I did explain to them that wasn't the case, but, you know. <laughs> you can, can you consider this officially me putting my hand up to, to come and, like, cycle a bike or dance on a dance floor when the tour comes to Europe? I really want to do this. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. Well, something like the dance floor, obviously you, you must take that piece of equipment around with you to different shows, but it's something that you could potentially put in a club or somewhere where people probably not a jazz club where people don't move around that much but somewhere like fabric or you know a, a big club where people are dancing and jumping up and down is, is that something that could be permanent in a venue absolutely yeah i, I mean there, there are the, the company is um energy floors uh, they're a dutch company but there's a number of companies around the world that have uh, energy generating tiles that they use in shopping centers uh, kind of high footfall areas um, mm. and the, the the energy created is used to power like LED fixtures showing adverts for shops or lighting and that kind of thing so it's not a particularly new concept but um, the way it's set up uh, at festivals and tours and live events is you know it's almost like a mini club come and 
come and come to our mini club and produce some power mm. and sometimes they have like lighting uh, sorry camera fixtures so you're leaping around on the floor and when you've stored enough uh, energy in the battery it takes a picture of you which you can then download oh. it's all sorts of like bolt-on features that you can you can have so that's so nice yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was really interesting to hear you say just a minute ago tim about like we were talking about the artist role and like the artists being able to pressure um the teams around them to insist on on having like you know more sustainable technology as part of their shows and then that point kind of rolling into the what you were saying about the music of the spheres world tour with coldplay of like bringing the bringing those initiatives into the actual show like here it is here being totally transparent this is actually part of it and like because otherwise i think and this is just kind of an observation i think it's quite hard for artists to talk about this stuff publicly because it's it's almost like the stuff that happens behind the curtain if you know what i mean so like to to, to bring it out and put it in a show that's not going to work for every artist is it but i think but i think you're right like as as an almost like first instance it has this sort of shockwave effect but that maybe does stimulate the conversation does stimulate you know the the, the crew that have worked on it and basically the people around that to sort of go yeah this this does this does work this does feel like participation and it sounds like from the fans that you met that got involved with those initiatives they were absolutely buzzing to be part of it yeah i mean i i I hate the expression new possibilities but actually that's what it's all about because there are plenty of other ways of harvesting uh human energy um out there Mm. but these ones kind of work for the sort of kind of dancey sort of party environment but you know, there's not. It's not that the kinetic floors are best, or the bikes are best, or or whatever. It is about saying, well, actually, you know, traditional energy energy generation has changed massively. When you think of sustainable power, you think of wind, you think of solar. But have you ever thought of people power? You know, and and there will be further new possibilities emerging over you know over the coming years. And it's it's about having an open mind, um, and also about having something that's engaging and visible. Well, one of the great things when we first started putting solar into festivals was uh, you have a lot of kind of like remote ticket cabins, box offices, and historically you would put a tower light in there to, to maybe give the cabin some power or, you know, a, a 20 kVA generator. But that thing would be chugging for like four or five days of the festival. It'd be running at a very, very low load. So it'd be running very inefficiently. Um, what we started to do was put small battery systems in and then like a solar rig. So if the first gate that you came to at your festival site had a box office or a security cabin and a load of solar panels out the front of it, okay, you're not jumping up and down on the solar panels to create energy, but you're like, wow, there's some solar here. It's Mm. one of the first things you see when you arrive at the festival. And that's a clear sort of, stamp for the festival organizers saying we have sustainable aspirations we're not going to get it right 100 the first time we're doing our best we do still have generators but look we've put some solar here and we've got battery power for this cabin so it's like a statement of intent kind of thing Mm. Mm, absolutely and i love that idea of showing people what's possible when you when you said you know all those people who are on the dance floor the kinetic dance floor and they're thinking about it and they're but thinking about it in a heightened state with music playing friends all around them and then those aren't you know people aren't just bodies they're engineers they're entrepreneurs they're all sorts of different you know backgrounds and things that people do and they're thinking about energy provision and how it's done and the number of ideas that will spring from that idea is brilliant. There was a, um, I'm not going to mention her by name, but um, 
there's a, a director or CEO of one of the um, energy companies that prides in the UK that prides themselves on delivering high levels of uh, renewable energy. And she once asked us to design a, a, a kind of bike contraption that she could put under her desk at work because she said she spent such a lot of time there and she was quite fidget and she was always like moving mm. her legs and everything. She said, what if I could put all of that fidgeting to good use and have a small contraption underneath that maybe it would power my laptop or my, my mobile phone yeah. or my iPad or something. Sad to say it never came to fruition, <laughs> but it's the same sort of thing, really. You, you kind of need to yeah. capture people when they're bored um, and, and they're doing <laughs> yeah. things that they do. I need to get a little... I need to get a little generator by my wobbly, wiggly foot. You know, some people, I'm one of those people with a wiggly foot. I need to get a little generator, generator anklet. <laughs> um, Tim, this morning I was reading about Lowlands Festival in, um, in the Netherlands, who've installed a solar carport on site. So basically a solar farm that apparently is going to generate enough renewable uh, green energy to, to power up to 10,000 homes, which you know sounds to me like a brilliant use of space considering that they're probably only using that site for sort of four weekends of the year for the different events that they put on and it's stuff like that when i hear about it i just think great it's really exciting and there's there's another uh another innovation that came across recently called the the gem tower you might be aware of this is a festival stage that can kind of move between different live events which is part solar powered part kind of hydrogen powered and and it's it looks like the eiffel tower or something it's a real statement thing to have it i know it well yeah and i just wonder just Oh, excellent. Okay. Um, you might be able to tell me whether it's any good or not. But the, um, I suppose, that, yeah, my final question was just about um, getting us excited. What are you excited about like that you see out there? And what do you what do you hope will happen in the next couple of years in terms of um, engagement and uh, technology and, and just how we can make this this urgent transition? Um, I think there's some very new and exciting uh, battery technology coming out. Um, any, anyone that knows me knows that I've been standing on my soapbox for about 25 years, kind of espousing the greatness of, of battery systems. But uh, some of the new stuff that's coming online is is really great. Uh, one of the particularly good things about it is that there's one company in particular that actually manage grid balancing battery farms in the UK. Um, but they've or they're creating, hopefully, uh, a demountable site. So that when the battery systems aren't being used for grid balancing, they can be temporarily undocked, taken to festivals and live events, used there, and then taken back and redocked. So they go back to doing their, their kind of grid balancing system. I think that's really cool because what you don't want is a huge amount of battery systems sitting in your yard for five or four months a year, not doing anything. So if these ones can be used uh, for, for grid stuff and for event stuff, that's that's fantastic as far as far as I can see. Um, my real answer to that question is probably the most boring answer you'll ever ever have, but I have to say it because it's <laughs> really really crucial. The main cause that we the main issue that we have at the moment is we have poor power advancing. So the electrical contractor or the power company is getting very little information or very little accurate information on the actual energy consumption and the power consumption of the fixtures on a show. If that improves, if the power advancing improves, it means that the power contractors can considerably downsize the power plant that is being used 
Therefore, they can make that power plant work harder and therefore it's going to run more efficiently. And because it's running more efficiently, the uh, level of emissions being uh, released is much, much lower. That's the single biggest causal factor that we have with our event energy problem is that systems are oversized because there's a lack of advancing information. And that's what we have to get to grips with. King of the bad puns that I am, Faye. Um, I now feel much more plugged in about live music and energy, <laughs> oh. having heard... <laughs> that was bad, right? <laughs> having heard from Tim. Um, what did you make of that conversation? Um, I want to do some kind of ACDC joke, but it, I just don't have it Don't have it right there. I'll, uh, I'll think about it and we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. I loved that conversation. I learned so much mm. and I think there's just this huge possibility around human generated energy. So I guess like mm. the energy flow of it, it's like we eat the food, we make the energy and then that energy can power things. And then mm. that's like a whole new renewable source that we, we're not even talking about, you know, alongside wind and um, solar and stuff like that. I, I just think it's so fascinating. It's so brilliant to have people who are really thinking about the steps of how you get stuff done. And I think it's a very, um, it makes me feel very optimistic to know that there's people like Tim around really working hard in their sector, incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly willing to share that information and just get things moving, get things changing. So um, I'm sure there's people like that across so many different sectors who are working in the background. You know, they're not making the headlines, but they're just mm. getting that really important stuff done um, to, to help everyone. So yeah, it's brilliant. Definitely. I was just so inspired by this conversation. Yeah, sign of a good conversation where it leaves your head full of inspiration and ideas. Mm. Um, let us know what you thought of it. We're Sounds Like a Plan uh, podcast on Instagram or you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this right now. Some other takeaways from that, that conversation that I, I, that I found really interesting. I assumed that generators, like diesel generators, weren't being used for indoor venues anymore. I just, I just, I, you know, it's something that I remember from like queuing up to go to gigs years ago and sort of going, oh, there's the generator outside the sort of stage door or whatever. I just, I, I, I just, I, just, I didn't even know that anymore. happened anyway, Greg. I feel mm. like I should know that, but I didn't. I just <laughs> thought when people talked about generators, they were talking about festivals, but mm, using generators yeah. for indoor gigs, no, that that has to yeah. go. I'm sorry, that's out, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was surprising, wasn't it? And I thought, I thought you made a brilliant point in the conversation, which was about sort of mindset and culture change and and obviously you know this is a world you know really really well and like the people that work on a on a tour or a festival to, to make that happen you mentioned the roles of people like production managers or tour managers and and their role basically almost above anything else is just to make sure the gig happens smoothly it happens on time and, and it's all about those things and so tim was explaining that you know that's why in the past you know this this sort of culture has been embedded of sort of of diesel powered generators uh, and people feel secure using that system because it's it's worked in the past but you know they've always got these sort of layers of security of like the backup generator of the backup generator and and when it comes to energy efficiency it's terrible um and so he's trying to just convince people look the technology is there with the battery power it's totally reliable but you just have to make that mental leap to be like yeah we're going to do that like it's okay it's proven it works let's not do the things the old way um so that was really interesting to hear that that's still a thing i think yeah absolutely and i think that's um it's sort of that's what people talk about when they they say a value shift it's like 
what what are we wanting our production managers and tour managers to do? Number one, mm. make sure the gig happens properly. But if number two, it's never going to be number one, make sure it's energy efficient. So it's just that is that's not the job. The job is to make sure the gig happens properly. But if mm. number two is to make it happen sustainably, then that really pushes that up the agenda. And that's where where that is valued above having this kind of no holds barred fallback system we're doing it the old way this has worked for 20 years when that's no longer valued as much and sustainable options are valued more and that can be through venues valuing it through artists valuing it through audience members saying this is what we want and that is actually raised in profile as something that people want then Mm -hmm. that gives the production managers and tour managers a really great incentive to do the work in that way rather than to do the work in a way that has been the tradition for say 20 30 years at gigs you know just to to start moving into a new way of doing things so it's mm. the communication about those ideas is important alongside the actual implementation of them i think so you spoke a little bit about the the work that he's done on on coldplay's world tour that's happening at the moment he linked that to something that i hadn't really thought about previously which was that idea of the sustainability initiatives that they brought in the things like the you know the much kind of talked about kinetic dance floor that i know you kind of got your question in and got some clarity on which was great thanks for that um but it it was about like he was like this also represents a mentality shift for the audience like do you put these things at the center of a live show that are interactive that are exciting that feel like they're bringing fans into the fold and and i hadn't really thought about that angle And, and so that was really interesting and he kind of admitted you know like obviously some fans getting involved and being on bikes to, to, to generate like kinetic energy and, and, and the sort of the battery powers that's coming from the kinetic dance floor and stuff like you know t- as Tim explained there that's not powering the entire live show we're not on that scale yet but it is bringing an element to you know one of the biggest artists in the world of kind of putting it at the center of their live show that people can see it visually and connecting with that and that's got to be worth something it's got to be worth a lot in its own right of of, of just kind of sending out that message so i know that it's kind of like you know there's been so much discussion around all this stuff like you know people saying the band aren't doing enough or these things are sort of gimmicky or whatever but you know i think that i'm definitely there to kind of like defend that having listened to tim there and also taking on board um not just the technology side of it but also the the sort of um yeah the cultural change the mindset change that putting those things actually into a live show can do so i think there's great value there yeah absolutely and i think for me that's almost like the most powerful if you'll excuse the phrase most powerful part (laughs) of it um it it really does you know put put energy efficiency into a place where people are feeling euphoric and connecting those Mm. two things so that feeling of joy euphoria connection with this sort of optimistic this is a new way we can do energy so it's it really helps with that as we were saying before the sort of value shift as well and what people are finding important in their lives um i think it's brilliant i'm i'm absolutely sold on it so yeah yeah and I think I was way too subtle in asking Tim whether I can get on the kinetic dance floor or ride one of those bikes when the tour comes to Europe in the summer. <laughs> Should have just asked him a little bit more directly. Should have just asked him for guest list, um, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want guest list. I want to get on the dance floor. I want to power that thing. Um, Faye, should we? Yeah, that was brilliant. Thanks so much to, to Tim for coming on the podcast. Um, Faye, before we go, let's um, let's have some quick recommendations. What have you got for us on this week's podcast? Well, actually, I'm going to recommend another podcast. 
um, mm-hmm. and it is called Climate of Change, and it's presented by Kate Blanchett and Danny Kennedy. Now, I listened to this yesterday for the first time. I was on a train and I saw I was advertised it. It's on Audible mm-hmm. only, so unfortunately, it's on that Amazon network. But if you're on Audible, you can download this podcast for free. And it's Kate Blanchett and Danny Kennedy. Danny Kennedy is um, a climate scientist, and they're talking about loads of different positive solutions, trying to create a feeling of optimism around the climate issues. It's it's not a million miles from our podcast actually, Greg. But they've got a huge budget and they've got amazing guests. And I listened to one episode. It was the last episode in season one. And they actually mentioned Music Declares Emergency, which I was very, my, I swooned a little bit when I heard Kate Blanchett say it. Um, and yeah, they had Imogen Heap on. They had Adam McKay, who directed um, Don't Look Up. And it's all about how culture can help change. So that is, if you're interested in this podcast, have a listen to that episode you'll really enjoy it, I think. Um, So yeah, brilliant podcast. I can't wait to listen to the rest. And they've got a few more series coming out soon. So yeah, really positive step from them. Excellent. Cool. I've also got something that's on a sort of podcast tip, but it's a a, uh, a live event recommendation. Um, On Wednesday, the 25th of May, um, Sounds Like a Plan is going to be involved with the podcast show 2022, which is basically a big celebration of podcasts of all different kinds. Um, It's all happening in London. Uh, There's daytime talks, panels, workshops, and networking things like that and in the evenings there's going to be some live podcast tapings lots of big names involved it's happening at the design center in islington and i'm going to be there talking all things climate with two of my favorite podcasts i'll be joined by tom rivet karnak and paul dickinson from outrage and optimism which we've mentioned loads on this podcast before so if that sounds interesting come on down the place to get tickets is the podcast show london.com also, one thing I just want to mention, anybody that tuned into the most recent episode of this podcast uh, where we were talking to Jake Taylor from uh, In Hearts Wake about their music documentary, um, as of May the 17th, there is going to be a global live premiere of that film because we talked in that podcast a bit about how people are going to be able to um, see it. Uh, tickets for this like global live stream are like $5, which I think is like £2.80. So like, you know, get involved and there's going to be like a 48 hour replay so you'll be able to watch it if you don't actually get to see the global premiere um so go and find green is the new black film online and 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 check it out so that's going to be your first kind of wide opportunity to go and see that film hopefully there'll be other ways to see it later in the year as well Um, as always we'll post links to our recommendations in the show notes below where you're listening to this and shout them out on our instagram Um, That's all we've got time for on this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host along with me, Greg Cochran. The podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find more about them at newallotment.com. This episode has been edited by Josh Tyler and the theme music is by lightandthunder.com. Artwork is by Stuart Stubbs. Until next time we're together, thank you for listening. Listening.